Hey, Venture, it's great to see you today. Can I just kind of go out on a limb and make a bold statement? I think that our service host today is especially cute. <laughs> if you're our guest today, I can say that. That's my wife, Dawn. I'm her husband. I can say that. I probably should say that. I really appreciate everything she just shared with us. And uh, I would pile on that as well. If you are our guest today, first of all, we love having guests join us here at Venture. I'm so glad that you're here. And what she just challenged you to do, please dive in. Join us on this journey. We are in a six-week journey. This is week three of it, and we're kind of turning the corner today. We're invited to take a step deeper today into this journey, but it's not too late for you to join us. I hope you plan to do that. Because God sets him up, himself up in Scripture as a father. We talked a fair amount about that last week. And he's inviting his kids to come home. We've been saying this each week. This is not a journey from home. Rather, this is a journey to home. We're going somewhere. We're going home. And I think today, this week, well, it's an integral step in this process. Let me catch you up, though, if you are our guest you can jump right in because here's the catch up. Week one, we talked about the promise of home. We asked the question, what is it like to be at home? And we looked at this ancient truth. God created the world. He set it into motion. But our ancient parents, our first parents, Adam and Eve, well, there was a separation from God. The Bible tells us that they walked in the garden with God in the cool of the day. They had their father. They had access to him. But sin happened. They were banished from the garden. And the whole story of the Bible is orphaned children trying to find their way back to Father. And actually, he seeks them. He goes after them. This is the beauty of the gospel message. God, our Father, pursues us. That was week one. Week two was a bit more of the same. This is the idea of knowing your dad. What do you think God is like? We talked about some misconceptions of who God might be and maybe some misunderstanding of who we have seen him to be in our past. Maybe our earthly father has shaped the way we view our heavenly father. And I suspect if your small group's anything like mine, there are some incredible conversations that happened together last week in your groups. God is taking us on a journey. We're going home this week. This week is all about trust. This week is trust your dad. Who are you depending on? Is it your dad, your father in heaven? We're going to lean into that truth today. We're basically asking this question, do you trust dad? Because the whole thing boils down to trusting. Will I trust God to be who he says he is? I want to pray. We're not just talking about God. Let's take a moment and simply talk to God. Let's invite him into this process, what he's doing in our hearts and minds right now. Would you, would you bow your heads and let's, let's go to our God in prayer. Father, on this, this journey home, I pray that today you would reveal more of who you are to us. Lord, show us the places where we need to grow in trust as we seek to trust you, our Father our dad. And it's your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week, we talked about maybe the best day in Jesus' life. This side of heaven, his earthly ministry, it was a, it was a good day. Jesus was 30 years old when he was baptized. And perhaps you remember that story, Jordan River, the um, 
John the Baptist is baptizing a bunch of people and Jesus joins that throng and in the middle of his baptism, heaven parts, God speaks through heaven and he says this verse. This is the verse we looked at. Luke chapter 3 verse 22. God says, you're my son. You're my son, identity. This is who you are. Whom I love. Just let's make it clear in front of all of these people. God is saying, this is my son and I love him. With you, I am well pleased. In other words, I'm proud of you. You have what it takes. This is a huge identity moment for Jesus. It's a good day. Jesus got affirmation. And then he left there, we talked about this last week, for worse days. Perhaps you remember I said our best days are yet to come, but who's to say that our worst days are not yet to come? For Jesus, that was true. He left that moment of affirmation. He goes out into the wilderness, 40 days, 40 nights. He's tempted by Satan, tempted three times. Satan, this literal spiritual being, he tempts Jesus three times. He went after Jesus' identity in three specific ways. He went after his appetite, he went after his ambition, and he went after approval. If you have your notes open, why don't you just open up that page right now, take a pen, and write the word approval, circle it, underline it, put a star next to it. Approval is the one that we're going to dive into today. We're going to take a deeper dive into this because this is the way that Satan tried to attack Jesus' identity. And hear me, I believe this is the same way he seeks to attack our identity today. Our identity. This is his M.O. If you've got your Bible and you want to open up with me, I'm in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. This is, picture, picture a courtroom. You've got Satan. And you've got our Redeemer, Jesus. This is the description of Satan. For the accuser of our brothers. He makes accusations. By the way, he's described elsewhere in Scripture as the father of lies. Those accusations that he may make to attack your identity, they're probably not even real. They're probably not true. Or they're an embellishment of a small bit of truth, and there's a lie in there somewhere. Who accuses, again, the accuser, what does he do? He accuses them before our God day and night. But here's the end of the story. He's been hurled down. This right here is a picture. This is referring to a time yet to come. This is future history of God where the accuser, Satan, will be finally silenced. But we see his M.O. here, right? He's the accuser. He attacks the identity of the children of God that were orphans. Again, remember, separated from God. And he's whispering lies in our ear that we cannot come back home to God. He did it to Jesus he does it to us today as well. Well, Jesus, back in our story, comes out of that wilderness temptation experience. But get this. He comes out stronger than he was before. This is a side note. But some of you, I wonder today if you feel like you might be a bit in the desert. I wonder if you might feel a bit like you're in the wilderness. My goodness, we've just come out of this weird season in the life of our world, really. Or maybe you're walking through a personal thing, a tragedy. Maybe you feel like you're in the wilderness today. Can I just say this? If you study the Bible, God often does big things to and for his children. 
in the wilderness. If you feel like you're in the wilderness today, he might very well be gearing you up for something big yet to come. God grows us in the wilderness. This is what happened with Jesus. The very next verse, after the temptation of Christ, three times Satan goes after his appetite, his ambition, and today we're talking about approval. Look at this verse. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. That word, power. We want to lean into that a bit today. Jesus comes out with power, but it's not power of his own volition necessarily. Look at this, of the Spirit. The old-timey preachers would call this the Holy Ghost. This is God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Power in the Spirit. Hold on to that thought. And news about Jesus spread throughout the whole countryside. Everybody's buzzing about Jesus. Did you hear about Joseph's son? I heard he went down and was baptized with John and that group of people down at the Jordan River. He was gone for 40 days and 40 nights, but oh my goodness, it seems like he's come back stronger. There's a power about him. I think as Jesus is walking around the region of the Galilee, it's almost as if there was a soundtrack playing underneath his ministry at that, po- at that moment in time. Maybe, maybe it sounded something like this. All right, you, you get the point. Does anybody else want to run up a bunch of steps right now? We can go ahead and stop that. I took my boys to Philadelphia uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, we, I, I had downloaded that Rocky soundtrack. And as we ran up those steps, I played that out loud, and we, we talked about what that movie was all about. Of course, that was ancient history for him. How many of you, you know the movie Rocky well, and you grew up? Yeah, that's one of my favorite movies, that whole series of movies, The Power of the Underdog. But there's power, right? If you're taking notes, write this down. This is the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus was living in in that moment. It's the power of living from approval, not for approval. Do you see the difference there? It's power of living from approval. God breaks through the clouds and speaks to Jesus and says, you're my son whom I love. In you, I'm well pleased. There's power that comes from identity, approval, knowing who you are, who God has made you to be, instead of living for approval. This is what we're focusing on the rest of the time we have today. This is the same thought you're going to take, and you're going to take it a step or two deeper in your personal work in the journal and in your group when you gather this week to discuss. God has power here. Jesus has power in this moment, not living for the approval of anyone, but living from the approval of his Father. This is what we're aiming for as well. When God spoke to Jesus at his baptism, you're my son. He was 30 years old at that point. Didn't he already know his identity? Well, of course he did, right? We see a story, actually, if we go back a little bit further in Scripture, when he was 12 years old, Mary and Joseph and Jesus and a whole entourage of people from the Nazareth Ridge, they trek down to Jerusalem, and it's a a, a festival week, and there's crowded, uh, this ancient city of Jerusalem is crowded, and he gets separated from mom and dad. They don't know where he is. They're frantic. They look for him. They find him on the south steps of the temple. I've been there in that space. This is where the rabbis would gather, the, the teachers of the law, the wisdom people of the day. And he's got a crowd, and he's holding them enthralled with his teaching And they're frustrated. Why are you here? And Jesus replies, didn't you know I would be about my father's business? 
He knew who he was. He knew what his identity was. But that moment of his baptism, when God spoke those words, you're my son and you, I'm well pleased. This was an experience from the father as his status as a son. It made me think about my kids. I'm a daddy of five kids, and they're big now, and we don't get on the ground and wrestle as much anymore unless they're pinning at me at this point, right? But when my kids were little, actually, I was scrolling through Facebook the other day, and I saw a picture, and I shared it. These are the tiny tots in my memories today. I think that was from like seven years ago, which puts them eight, nine, ten, somewhere in this picture. These are my two youngest, Jake and Jordan. Let's go in a little closer on that picture. I remember this day, I don't know if you can see it from there, but they had found this tiny little frog. And the caption I shared was, a couple of fellas and a frog. I remember coming home from work that day, and they were so excited to show me their treasure. And we played with it. And I probably wrestled with them. And this one right here, I love to mess his hair up, tussle with him just a little bit, both of them. When they were that age, when they were that size, I'd come home from work, and they'd, they'd greet me at the door, Daddy, Daddy, dad, Daddy's home. And I remember those moments of, oh, my goodness, moms and dads, the kids are that age. Lean into those moments. They don't always stay small. But when I think about those days, and I think about that moment when I come home, maybe four hours before that moment when they greet me at the door, arms open wide, four hours before that I'm in my office, they're at school. Were they any less, my kids, then? Was their identity any less different then than it is in the moment of affection? No, 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 no. But in that moment of affection, the greeting at the door, oh, my goodness, this is who you are. They're living, they're experiencing their sonship in that moment. Jesus. Jesus experienced the power of his identity, his sonship, because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, was moving in his life. He was living from approval, not for approval. And I believe it's possible for you and I to live the same way. Are you living from approval? Or are you living for approval? Stop and think about that question right now. Are you living from or are you living for? There are some ways to find out, by the way. Think about your friendship group. You get a new car. How important is it for you, for your friends, to approve of your new car? How important is approval to you? I'm gearing up. I think this next summer I've got a 30-year high school reunion. I was talking about reunions the other day with somebody, and they were telling me a story from their, I don't know, maybe 20-year reunion, where somebody had rented a limousine and shown up at this, it was kind of like a bar. That's where the reunion was, right? And they showed up at this bar, kind of a dive in a limousine. Is there an approval issue maybe at play there? I think there probably is. Or a new restaurant, you hear about a new restaurant or maybe a new vacation spot. How quickly do you need to post that photo up on Facebook or Instagram? There might be some approval seeking there. How easy is it for you to not upgrade your house or to upgrade your car? Or maybe think about the things that you covet. If you covet them, maybe there's some approval needs underneath those things that you're just dying to get. Let's talk about your relationships. How, is, how important is it, if you're younger and unmarried, how important is it that your, your date is hot? How important is it, uh, maybe if you've got kids or grandkids, how important is it that those kids are well-behaved? Is there some approval underneath that? I was thinking about that. As a pastor, can I just confess to you, I've got five kids, and when they were little, 
I dreaded the church lobby sometimes. Because <laughs> they did what kids do. They ran and they jumped and they twirled and they played. And I would kind of catch myself. I'm talking to somebody, a church person in the lobby. And I'd be watching my kids out the side of my eye. And they're doing what kids do. But I was desperately worried about your approval. Do you think I'm a good parent? Do I have my kids under control? That's my dysfunction. That's not theirs. If you're taking notes, write this down. If you live for approval, if you live for approval, you never feel secure. This triggers our orphan tendencies we've been talking about. You always feel abandoned, but here's the deal. There is a place where you can live in confidence, where you feel like you belong, where you can feel the freedom to make aggressive mistakes. It's a place called home, and this is where we're going. How do we get there? Well, last week we talked about how there's some good <clears throat> and there's some hard work. So if you've got your guide, go ahead and pull it out. Flip it open. Uh, maybe come back a page if you're taking notes. I see many of you are writing down there in the sermon notes section. Come back to the red page, page 44 and 45. If you've got the handout instead of the book, you've got this same thing there. And I'm going to invite you to simply fill in the blanks. And for the rest of the time that we're meeting today, before you go to your small group, you can just do this. If something comes to mind, just jot it down. I like to be seen as. If I'm really honest, I sat down in my office and I thought, what would I put in those, that blank right there? I like to be seen as smart. I'm a pastor. I like to be seen as likable. I want you to like me. I want to be seen as nice. I want to be seen as powerful. I'm a leader. What do you want to be seen as? Take your pen, write them down. People would describe me, so how would you be described? Would they be the same things? Or maybe when people see you, they see something else. Go ahead and jot those things down. By the way, if you're having a hard time filling that one out, maybe ask your spouse later, how would people describe me? Maybe ask your kids later, how would people describe me? If I had a personal brand, it would be, remember week one, we did nicknames in our small groups. Maybe you've got a nickname and there's some identity that comes out of that. That's a part of your personal brand. Go ahead and write that down there as well. Then skip over to the next page. Fill in at least three blanks with somebody's name. I want so-and-so to know that I'm good enough. I have a really hard time if so-and-so criticizes me. I think of specific names that I put in here. My wife is one of them. I feel good when I impress so-and-so. My kids are some of these. You can fill out the rest of the things there. I'm going to invite you to do that. Honestly, when I look at those first three or four lines there, if I'm honest, if I'm honest, I could put some specific names in those blanks. I could put some specific elders' names in our church there. I serve as an elder in our church, but I report to that team. They're my bosses. And if I'm talking approval, if I'm honest, you know, we did this study earlier in the summer, kind of a beta test, and somebody on my staff team kind of joked, well, how many of you would put Stan's name on those blanks? Because I'm their boss. I think back to other churches that I've served. There are many, during those seasons of my life, I would put my lead pastor in those blanks. This is something that I've wrestled with my whole life. How many of you have studied the Enneagram? 
Do you know the Enneagram? I'm a three on the Enneagram. This is part of my kind of core wiring. Week one, I shared with you uh, some of my childhood stuff. Like literally, I showed you some stuff that I pulled out of a memory bucket in the basement. When I was a kid, I, I was praised for being good. Dawn reminded me the other day that our kids had a name for those kids in class that put their hands up, oh, calling me, calling me, calling me. My kids, when they were little, they called, they called those kids tryhards. I think maybe I was a tryhard when I was a kid. And here's the deal. You can live a pretty good life if you struggle in this area and you lean into approval as an orphan. But here's the deal. I'm a slave to that if I live that way. Here's my orphan value equation. Check it out. It goes something like this. My worth, so my value, who I am, even my identity, it gets at a little bit of that, equals my performance, what I do, what I get done, my performance, plus other people's opinions. How do you view what I did? Did I win? Did I lose? My worth. This is my orphan value equation. This is not the way God designed me to judge my life. But this is part of my dysfunction. These are part of my, as we talked about week one, part of my orphan tendencies. What's your value equation? Do you have a version of this yourself? Constant insecurity. This can be exhausting. Sometimes I have this inner voice inside of me. It actually happened just a bit ago. I told you that the elders... I would put their names on those blanks. And I literally had this voice in my, inside my head, are you really going to share that with the whole church right now? It's this nagging voice. I hear it inside my head. You just told hundreds of people that you, well, you basically just said that you suck up to our elder team. Are you crazy? What are people going to think about you? They're going to think you're weak. They're going to think you're insecure. They're going to think you're crazy. I can't believe you just said that. You guys hear that as well, right? <laughs> Sometimes my inner monologue, it goes on the attack. Sometimes I catch myself second-guessing. Sometimes I find myself overthinking things. These are my orphan tendencies, right? That orphan value equation. Let's go back and look at that. My value or my worth, my performance plus other people's opinion. Sometimes uh, that inner voice, it, it goes the opposite direction. Sometimes there's a lie. There's a puffing up as well. That value equation, that was some good stuff right there. I think people will find that really helpful. Groups are going to be talking about that together this week. Man, I, I provided value with that. Let's do more of that. Because that's how you get approval. That's what it means to be worthy. Yeah. You guys, this is a real thing. I have this inner voice, this inner dialogue. I can be sitting in a meeting. And uh, did anybody else week one circle that thing in the book that said, I want to be the smartest person in the room? Can I share with you some of my dysfunction? I circled it. And when the time came for me to share, that's not the one I shared. That one felt a little bit too close to home. I don't want to say it out loud. Here's the deal. I'm definitely not always the smartest person in the room. I am most certainly not the smartest person in this room right now. I'm confident of that. And oftentimes when I'm in a room and we're brainstorming, somebody else inevitably has a better idea than I have. 
That was the dumbest thing you've ever said. I can't believe that you gave that dumb idea. Dummy, why didn't you think of that one? See, somebody in here is thinking. And somebody in here clearly isn't, and that's someone that's not. Well, his name rhymes with Dan Killafew. That's you, dummy. These people are going to think that you're not worthy. You need to earn your keep around here. I'm so mean to myself. Maybe you can relate to that. This is just part of my brokenness. That part, though, that's coming from the accuser. The accuser. We talked about him in Revelation chapter 12. And we have to stop listening to that voice if we're going to take ground in this particular area. You know, my pastor orphan value equation kind of makes sense. I'm on a platform a lot. My performance plus either pe- other people's opinion makes sense. That's, that's kind of where I would grab some of my worth from, right? Well, I go back to my childhood, and I think about this same thing before I started doing what I do professionally, and I think back to my my grade school years and even before that. Well, this is what that orphan value equation looked like. Where is it? Oh, it's exactly the same. It's the same thing. I've been listening to these lies in my head for a long time. I told you a couple weeks ago that I graduated Bible college, a full-blown Pharisee. Speaking of the Pharisees, this is a description of them in John chapter 12. Check this out. For they loved praise from men more than praise from God. Would you agree this is something to work on in my life? I don't want to be a Pharisee. Jesus had some very specific things to say to that group of people. And here's the deal. I don't have to live that way. You don't have to live that way. Here's the deal. You don't have to live for approval. There's hope. Receive and trust what dad has to say about you. Receiving and believing what the father says about you more than what the accuser says about you. This is what we're leaning in today. He says, Stan, you're my son. In you I'm well pleased. If I could ever believe it more, That more than what the accuser has to say about me, I would never really have to wrestle with this approval thing. That's what God invites you into right now. It's called the gospel of adoption. The good news, that's what gospel means. The good news is that he's adopting you into his family. The Bible is filled with language of this. Here's a passage I'd point you to. Look at this, uh, Galatians chapter 4. But when the, the, the set time had fully come, God sent his son. This is the gospel. Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. That word redeem is a big deal. That we might receive the adoption of sonship. Gospel. Adoption. This is what he's calling us to receive today. If you ever want to know what you are worth, look no further than the cross of Christ. God is a father that is fighting for the custody of his kids. God wants you, and he seeks to redeem you. At the cross, Jesus paid for your redemption. That word, redemption, it literally means to pay for something at cost. At the cross, God paid for your sins. Yes, we talk about that all the time. But he also paid, get this, he paid for your adoption. 
He paid to bring you into his family. And here's the deal. The cost of adoption is never on the back of the, of the orphaned child. I know several families that have adopted. I'm one of them. Many times this happens at great cost to the family that's bringing the child into their home. The cost is always paid for by the adopting parents. Saying, you're my son. You're my daughter. In you, I am well pleased and I'm willing to pay the price to make that so. When you're adopted, your status changes immediately. You're a treasured child. And if you believe that, you can live from, not for approval. The other day, I'm walking through my living room and one of my boys is watching a YouTuber. Any of you have this? A YouTuber playing on the TV? He's a gamer, kind of a goofy looking dude, if I'm real honest wearing a kind of a weird hat. And I kind of did a double take, and I said, who, who is that? And Dawn, very, you know, kind of quippy, said, well, he makes a whole lot more than you make. My son Googled him, and just to prove the point, he's literally, well, he said these words. He said, Dad, he's worth several million dollars. And I thought to myself, I didn't say this out loud, no, he's not. He's worth a whole lot more than that because he's a treasured child of God. I don't know this guy, but his worth is not his bank account. So many times we, we confuse our worth by measuring it with a broken measuring stick. We measure our worth with a bank account statement. We measure our worth with our productivity. We measure our worth with our image, who we see we are, who we think others see we are. Can I invite you right now to grab your communion elements? When you came in today, you were handed one of these, or actually it was on the seat when you came in and sat down. Maybe like me, you've had to get adept over the last several weeks of not sitting on this and making a mess. Your value, your worth, your identity... It's not wrapped up in who you are and what you've done. It's wrapped up in who you are because of who God designed you to be, a treasured child. So I want to take just a few minutes and take a deep breath. You, me, together. But more importantly, you alone with your Father in heaven. Here in a moment I'm going to pray. And I'm going to start a prayer time for you with your God, maybe to confess some sins, to share with him what you're feeling right now, to pour your heart out. The daddy that wants you to come home at the end of the day and, and wrap your arms of love around him and be reminded of your value and your worth. An adopted child of God. This is your worth. A body broken. A blood shed, poured out for you at the cross of Christ. He loves you a lot. Listen to him whisper that in your ear right now as you pour your heart out to him. God, as we lean in, hear our thoughts, hear our prayers, remind us of our value. Remind us of our worth in your body 
in your blood right now. Jesus, as we literally consume, we bring into our bodies elements that remind us of your sacrifice, of your redemption, a cost that's paid for for, for our, our value, our worth. We're reminded that we're treasured children of God. We confess our sins. We believe that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to forgive us. And you see us through the lens of your righteousness, not our own works. And so we just bask in the truth that we're treasured children of God. We have value. We have worth. Not because of the approval we're seeking. We desire to live from approval, not for it. And it's in your name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That passage that we just read together in the book of Galatians, it goes on a little bit further. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 continues. It says, because you are sons, because you've been adopted into God's family, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And since you're a son, God has made you also an heir. Here's the deal. If you're taking notes, write this down. The Spirit empowers us to live from approval. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, God in our bodies. God whispering in our ear. You see, there is a counterbalance to the voice of the accuser. It's the Holy Spirit. This week, could I just challenge you to lean into the truth that God, oh, he has things to whisper in your ear. And he wants to do that this week to remind you of your identity. My wife likes to call these God nudges. I think these happen all the time, and maybe we chalk them up as just coincidence, but I think God's whispering in our ear all the time. It happened in my small group this last week. Somebody was sharing a story, and through the story I kept thinking of um, a book. And immediately, the title of the book and the author of the book 
came to mind, and I leaned over after the thing was done, and I, I told her, I think this is a book you might find valuable based on one of the stories you just shared. Here's the deal. I don't remember book names. I don't remember movie names. Like, I went and saw that movie the other day, you know, the one with the guy who, who dances around and boxes a lot, and, and a friend would say, yeah, Rocky. Oh, yeah, that. I don't remember. I can go watch a movie, and I'll forget the name of the movie, but that moment, in that time, I remember the name of the book. I remembered the author's name. I think that's a Holy Spirit nudge. I think the Holy Spirit wants to whisper in your ear things this week. That Bible passage that we read a bit earlier, Revelations chapter 12, it's a courtroom scene. You've got the accuser, right? And he's speaking lies about your identity. He's speaking lies. You've got to win your approval. You've got to earn your way to God. And the Holy Spirit, Jesus, whispers truth in your ear. John chapter 14 Jesus promises this is what's going to happen. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor, an advocate. I love that word. An advocate against the accuser to be with you forever. This is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. You recognize his voice, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you. There's our word. As orphans, I will come to you. And then if you skip down just a few verses in this same priestly prayer, Jesus prays over his disciples and gives them some last-minute coaching before the cross the next day. He says this, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. Do you want a little bit more peace in your identity this week? Let's keep reading. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. There's a story. Uh, an Indian proverb I heard years ago, a grandson had a dream and he went to his father, grandfather and he said, what's this dream mean? I, I'm dreaming about two wolves. They're fighting together. And uh, the grandfather wisely said, well, these, these wolves, they're inside you. These are wolves that are battling uh, for your purpose, for our purposes. This is uh, uh, one voice, uh, one wolf is the voice of the accuser. And one wolf is the voice of the Holy Spirit. And the grandfather looks at the son and the grandson and he says, these are wolves fighting. And the grandson says, well, which, which wolf wins the war? And the grandfather says this, well, the one you feed, that's the one that wins the war. So this week, in the war for your identity, who wins? Is it the voice of the accuser or is it the voice of God, your advocate? Would you stand up with me? We're going to continue in worship today. I shared this with you oh, a couple years ago, but this was pre-pandemic. As we talk about the power of living from approval, not for approval, I want to read and I want you to say this with me. I taped this up inside my Bible years ago. It's called I'm God's Child. My identity, my value, my purpose, it's all wrapped up here. And sometimes I just need to pull this out. I heard one of my Bible college professors do this years ago and just need to remind myself of whose I am. So I'm going to say a line. I'm going to invite you to repeat it after me. This is how it's going to go. I'm going to say, I am. You say, I am. God's child. Let's do this together. I am. God's child. 
I may be young, I may be old, I may be rich, I may be poor, I may be boy, I may be girl. I am God's child. I may be black, I may be white, I may be red, I may be yellow. I am God's child. I may be fat, I may be lean, I may be bright, I may be dim, I may be fast, I may be slow. I am God's child. I am God's child. I may be blind, I may be lame, I may be strong, I may be weak, I may be up, I may be down. I am God's child. I may be bald, I may have hair, I may be dark, I may be fair. I am God's child. I may be open, I may be closed, I may be here, I may go there. I may follow, I may run, I am God's child. I am God's child. I may stand, I may fall, I may blossom, I may wither, I may sin, I may forgive, I am God's child. I may speak, I may listen, I may preach, I may pray, I am God's child. I may be loud. I may be soft. I may be steady. I may waver. I may think. I may feel. I am God's child. I am God's child. I am God's child. I do have faith. I do believe. I do hear. I do obey. I am God's child. I have value. I have worth. You have value. You have worth. I am God's child. You are God's child. We are God's child. If you want to live for, not for approval, but if you want to live from approval, lean into that identity. And let's proclaim the truth together right now as we sing.